Whether you're an independent artist or a fan that loves them, makingascene.org is the place for you. For the music fan, we bring you in-depth interviews and CD reviews from artists who are on the cutting edge of original music. For the independent artist, we bring you articles on music business, recording techniques, gear reviews, and interviews with industry professionals that give you real-world information to help you negotiate the new realities in the music industry and give you the tools you need to move your career to the next level. We bring you new content every day. Makingascene.org is the number one resource for the independent artists and the fans that love them. Head on over and become part of the Indie Revolution. And now, here's an indie blues double shot from our featured artist today, Eric Johansson. And stay tuned for that interview. It comes up right after these songs.
from his brand new release and we got eric on the line right now hey eric how are you hey pretty good man how's it going it's pretty doing pretty good now um this is the first time you've been on our show and we always like to start things off by giving our fans this opportunity to get to know who you are and the best way to do that is to look at your journey the story that you have up to this point so give us the story of eric johansson well, uh, you know, I started playing um, guitar pretty young, and and I was my first forays into playing live were doing you know bluesy music, um, playing with older musicians. Um, when I started trying to come up with my own music uh, and find my own style, I ended up veering into more hard rock uh, and experimental territory a little bit. Um, and had a, a band, uh, 
that I released a few albums under, and and then I also had a like an electronic, electro acoustic type project uh, with guitars and beats and stuff. And um, eventually, I came back to you know just really organic, raw, stripped down music. You know the power trio thing, which allows me the most freedom uh, in expression and and really kind of gives me what I'm looking for out of the whole experience. And so. I my first record uh, in that format under my own name was 2017, produced by uh, Tab Benoit, an album called "Burn It Down." And then I toured for a couple of years with Tab, opening his shows, most all of his shows for a couple of years, and um, that led me, you know, pretty much right to the uh, pandemic time where I sort of. Um, you know, just made it through like a lot of people with like live streaming. And I uh, I put out a couple of cover records of acoustic covers of everything from old blues songs to um, some classic rock stuff and even some different stuff. But um, and then, you know, we had a, a live record that came out during that time. Those were all indie releases. Um, 2020, I had a, a, my previous studio album produced by Luther Dickinson. Um that one was called uh, Below Sea Level. Um, so, yeah, you know, I mean, um, that's kind of a gist of how I <laughs> got got to this point um, with this new record. Okay. Well, let's, let's talk about the new release. Uh, obviously, you've been working with some great people, uh, Tab Benoit and Luther Dickinson. Um, but if someone has not heard of you, what would you tell them about this release that would get them excited about going out and listening to it? Hmm. Well, I mean, you know, I, I feel like it is everything that I love about blues music, uh, the rawness and the emotion and expression of it. But at the same time, it's, it's got, uh, you know, it's got a little bit of a harder edge to it. I mean, it's, um, you can definitely hear some of my rock side in there. Um, in fact, I, I mean, I'd probably call it a rock record just in, in so far as I don't really write too much that's in a standard, uh, format. Um, but it's, you know, it's always performed with the emotion and expressiveness of blues music. Um, and, uh, so, you know, so it's sort of like, you know, to me, it's, 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 it's modern. It's not. It's not a retro album. It's. Uh, it's a synthesis of a lot of different things that that I'm into. You know, from New Orleans funk to hard rock to uh, blues, and and it kind of ties all those things together. So hopefully, you know, it could reach across to some people that may not consider themselves normally rock fans or normally blues fans, uh, and hopefully, you know, reach some some folks that uh you know might okay. might be into it <laughs> all right now uh of course every good release has to start with songs good songs and that craft of songwriting is is definitely important especially in the blues genre um you know because you know a lot of people sometimes think that you know it you know a blues song should be a one four five and an excuse for a solo um but in your songwriting, when you sit down to begin that writing process, what what do you do? What is your mechanism that gets you to the muse? Uh, I try these days to let things pop in my head and have that be the starting point. Because I usually find when you're not trying to write, that's when... Uh, things will pop in your head. So, you know, a lot of things start with me humming something into the phone while I'm sort of doing something else. Something will pop in my head. It might be like a rhythm with like a little bit of a riff or something. Because I feel like if there, if it's popping in my head, it's it's bubbling up from, you know, some unconscious place where there's more going on than if I sit down and go, huh, what am I going to come up with? So usually I... I I have a lot of little snippets of voice memos. Um, maybe I'll maybe I'll hear something in my head and I'll pick up the guitar real quick and see if I can pick out what it is that I'm hearing in my head. So it usually starts there, and then 
from there, you know, I'll, I'll sort of maybe flesh that out a little bit. I might program a drum beat, play around with, you know, with the, the, the initial part. And a lot of the time I'll sort of, um, hum vocal lines, uh, just sort of improvise whatever seems to be coming to me. And, and in that same kind of unconscious way, sometimes there'll be words that come out and that'll sort of tell me what it's about. Um, and you know, and I, I've written things different ways. There've definitely been times where I've sat down and said, Oh, I want to write about this. But usually I, I feel like that puts a part of me in the driver's seat that I don't necessarily want to be in the driver's seat. I sort of want the, uh, you know, to be receiving um, input a little bit more subconsciously and, and just reacting to the sound and in this sort of way, you know, allowing my mind to say, what does this sound seem to be about? And that'll sort of put me on the path. And a lot of the time, that that's sort of a, a journey of self-discovery for me because I'll, I'll end up writing something that I look back and reflect on. And I'm like, wow, that sort of taught me something about myself rather than me thinking ahead of time, oh, I know what I want to do. I know what I'm about. Because I'm discovering it as as I go, <laughs> you know. I don't I don't know what it is that I'm gonna do next. Uh, it's a it's a surprise to me as much as anything. So, um, so yeah. So it's kind of like you know. I try, I sort of try to let let it the music take me somewhere. I guess if that makes sense. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. Now you had mentioned that you use your voice memos on your phone, and a lot of songwriters have embraced the technology today as tools in their toolkit what are some of the tools that you have found to be indispensable to you as a writer well for me um you know i grew up with you know i i had a variety of drum machines growing up i always enjoyed messing with drum machines um and, you know, partially it was like, you know, being young and playing and, and not knowing anyone in school that really played or whatever and just wanting to, like, have something to jam with. So that kind of carried over. And these days the drum machine is a uh, software called Ableton Live um, for me. So I, I do a lot of, like, demoing of my stuff to try out ideas. You know, I don't, I don't write or read sheet music. Um, I am kind of self-taught player and I don't, I don't really, um, have any other way of sketching out ideas and seeing how they work. So a lot of the time I'll program a beat, I'll pick up a bass guitar and I'll play around with some bass lines. So by the time I go into the studio, there's sort of a version of the album that, um, you know, is at least a skeleton, uh, that doesn't sound terribly different than the final product but the final product has a lot more human uh you know element to it and and is is definitely elevates it way beyond what the demos are but the demos are sort of a process of me refining the idea of what it is from the rough sketch on a voice memo to something where it has bass parts and drum parts and breaks and you know intros and outros and and that kind of thing so yeah for me like using using software like ableton live is um is kind of an important part of the process okay now one of the big buzzwords uh in the industry right now is artificial intelligence ai um i mean uh you have uh ed shearing going on swedish radio and talking about how he utilized ai to help him um, as an idea generator uh, for his last release, then you have, of course, Paul McCartney, uh, you know, saying that, you know, we're going to release a new Beatles song by using AI-generated vocals from John Lennon and George uh, Harrison, you know, to kind of fill out and create that Beatles sound. So AI is, is coming. It's part of our, our conversation now. 
Uh, and even now with the writer's strike, you know, there is a big thing with AI, you know, being able to generate scripts. Um, what is your impression of artificial intelligence in terms of songwriting, both lyrics, melody, chord progressions, even orchestration? They have AI um, kind of tools. Uh, and as far as the future of songwriting and the music industry as a whole, uh, you know, I, I mean, I, I, I haven't used any of the tools. Um, it's an interesting area to me, not only with music, but just in general, like all the different avenues that it that it can take. Uh, I'm sure there's a lot of usage for it. Um, I think for me with songwriting, it would it's sort of. I don't know what the purpose of doing it would be any more than, you know, would you have, would you use chat GPT or AI to write a love letter to your spouse? You know, if, if, <laughs> why would you do that? Um, you know, it's it, it sort of, for me, the, the process of pulling things out of yourself and discovering things that, that, come out naturally and that help you understand yourself help you understand your world that to me is the purpose of songwriting so i suppose if the purpose of songwriting is to have a song you can sell then i suppose that ai could help get you to that finish line perhaps if it gets to, i mean i'm not even aware of how far along it is but for me it's like even if it was capable of doing that that wouldn't solve the problem of understanding yourself or understanding your world. That would just be like, okay, well, this is what it spat out. So I guess, does that work, you know, and seeing if it sells or not. So I don't know. I mean, for me, I don't think it, it can replace the personal journey that you're taking with music because that would just be the journey that the robot had. <laughs> and I don't, I don't see that as helping me with uh, what I'm trying to do, you know? Well, you um, know we as songwriters, I mean, we go around collecting thoughts and ideas. You know, you hear something in conversation or you see something on on social media or even on television and we jot it down. We make a mental note or a, a voice note of what we hear as snippets, as ideas. You know, and I'm old enough to remember, you know, back in the day... You know, before, you know, um, you know, the Brill building, more or less, uh, you know, even the rhyming dictionary in the thesaurus was considered cheating uh, in songwriting. So, you know, that came later in the 60s and the 70s where that became part of the songwriter's toolkit. Uh, and, you know, and I also remember when technology uh, brought us MIDI and drum machines and and how that created such an uproar in the industry as the, you know, what you're going to take away jobs and, you know, it, it's, it's dehumanizing music, but yet it is now part of our, uh, our world as a tool, not as a crutch. You know what I mean? Like you said, you uh -huh. create these drum patterns in Ableton um, to, you know, kind of flesh out your, your musical ideas but, you know, later on, of course, you get a real drummer and you go into the studio and, and allow their creativity to take it to that next level. Um, do you see this as, as a possibility of using it as, as a tool in the future as opposed to the crutch? Uh, you know, I, I guess, I mean, there's no right or wrong, right? I mean, it's it's really, you know, whatever whatever works for the particular artist. You know, I mean, when I'm making beats, I'm literally pressing a button for each time the kick drum you know i'm i'm, I'm still never even using uh, a loop but if that's the, at the same time nothing wrong with the people who do if that gets them where they're trying to go um and you know there's already a lot of technology that's available that i choose not to use because it takes away something that i want to be human for instance there are people that perform with backing tracks, you know, and um, that doesn't mean that their show isn't enjoyable. But there are people that they go, well, how are we going to reproduce this live? Well, we'll have a laptop playing the tracks while we play over it when we play our live show. Well, that's something that you can do. Um, 
I already choose not to do that because to me it takes away the freedom that I'm looking for live. So there's, there's really no right or wrong to it. Um, I personally, um, because there is a side of me that is interested in technology and I have sort of gone further down that road uh, with other projects, with, with what I'm doing now, I kind of, I just sort of intentionally... I mean, I use it a little bit to write, you know, like I said, I, I demo stuff out on a computer, but, but then the computer goes away and stays away. <laughs> and, um, and I know personally for me, there's already too much, you know, of being on devices generally just to, to promote and do everything that you've got to do that as soon as I can shut them off and put them away, I'm, I'm pretty much glad to do that and plug in a, you know guitar into a tube amp and crank it up and have <laughs> somebody playing real drums and no screens um so you know i mean that's just a personal choice for me but i don't i totally see how they could be uh useful um you know depending on what you're trying to do you know okay now um let's talk a little bit about uh the uh moment where you have to put that pen down um, you know, when you need to declare the song done, at least in the writing phase, because we know when you go into the studio, it evolves. Uh, even when after you record it and you take it out on the road, it evolves even more. Mm-hmm. But you got to get to that point. You have to say, okay, let's get this into the studio. Let's flesh it out, bring it into production. What is your quantifier that you like to use to determine when a song is ready to move to that next phase? Yeah, I guess, you know, it's an it's it's something where I I feel like you're trying to find the essence and the core of an idea and sort of trim the fat away from it. Um, you know, a lot of times you might write more verses than end up on the song. Um, you might try out different lines and and realize that this is the one that really seems to to tie it together the best and I guess you get to a certain point where it just it seems like the the sum is more than the parts and and it has sort of got a thing about it that where you don't really want to add anything else to it um and oftentimes I feel like in the studio there's actually more taking away than there is adding sometimes uh, you realize that it doesn't need that extra verse or it doesn't need this extra little bit. Um, so, yeah, so, you know, I, I guess it kind of becomes finished um, as you just decide that it's finished. And that's just kind of like, you know, I I think that the songs on this record, uh, on the Deep and the Dirty, they they definitely have maybe a little bit more going on than some of the songs on the previous records, like uh, in terms of different riffs, um, bridges, uh, you know, um, intros, outros, that type of thing. But I still try to to make sure that there's not anything extra that doesn't add to it. So, you know, and like, but like you say, I mean, there's they definitely evolve live and you end up with these different little peaks and valleys that get added into the live show. Um, and, and that evolves over time, which is something that again, I think is really cool about a completely human organic, uh, presentation of music is it's sort of like a live painting. Um, and, and that sort of thing couldn't happen if you were sticking to a script or playing the backing tracks or anything like that. So, you know, it's, it's, it differs from, from song to song, but I, I guess, you know, once, once you've got sort of the core of an idea there and, um, you know, it's, it, 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 as basic as you can get it while it still brings across what you're trying to bring across or what you feel like the song needs, then, you know, then it's done, I guess. (laughs) Okay. Now, um... Tell me a little bit about the lineup on this. Who's playing on it? So there's some uh, friends of mine that 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 uh, I've I've known for several years. Um, Terrence Higgins, who 
uh, has toured as Tab Benoit's drummer for a while. Um, also, he's Ani DeFranco's drummer. He's Warren Haynes' drummer. He's done um, the Willie Nelson uh, birthday thing that just happened. Um, so he's he's an in-demand guy, but he's also a friend. And, and I also, we have a little side project we're kicking around now called Gator Black um, in New Orleans that's, that's sort of a, a fun uh, band that, we just did our some of our first gigs over jazz fest but um so he he's been around for a while he's just i mean he's just so um great in the studio because you know everything he tries out it just uh you know he's he's got an unshakable groove um so there's no fixing of anything at all um and and then on bass uh Eric Vogel, who also I go back way back with, um, you know, I, we did some of our first gigs together like 10 years ago or more. Um, and I've worked with him over the years and him and Terrence have worked together on a number of projects. Uh, Eric Vogel, he played with North Mississippi All-Stars for a little while. Uh, he was with Big, Big Sam's Funky Nation, plays with Erica Falls, uh, some different folks. I'm not sure what all his current gigs are because he plays with a lot of different people but you know they they came into the studio and just really uh knocked it out you know we we did all the all the tracking in literally two days and um you know very minimal overdubs after that um after they left so um they they just i mean all of the jams and performances guitar solos and all that that is literally just us playing in a room um, and you know, it takes some really high caliber guys to do that. The band that, you know, that I tour with, I tour with a couple of different guys on bass and drums sometimes. Um, and they're also super great. And, and the partially it was the scheduling and stuff of this, um, where, you know, we, we decided to use, uh, Terrence and Eric, um, but, uh, you know, everybody brings their own little bit of a style to it, which is cool, too. You know, my drummer live, Terry Scott Jr., he he brings kind of his only his own thing to the songs uh, as well. So, yeah, it's kind of fun to, to mix it up with with different people. But but yeah, the studio band, Terrence Higgins, Eric Vogel, they're uh, a dream team to work with. Okay. Now, uh, let's talk about going into the studio. Now, every artist has their way of, of getting their sound. Uh, and it's an art form in itself, going into the studio. And we've worked with some really great producers, such as Tab Benoit and Luther Dickinson. What are some of the, the processes that you like to use in the studio that helps you get your sound, the sound you're looking for? Well, I really like to set up the rig like my guitar rig and that pretty much is the sound of the guitar so i'm really a big fan of you know capturing this sound as it would be in a show um rather than approaching every song and saying oh let's hook this up for this song let's hook this up for that song i try to get the different textures that i'm looking for out of a setup that I'm also going to be bringing to shows live. Um, that's just, I, I, I just like that. Um, you know, that the, there's a lot of bands that, that I've been a fan of over the years that that's the way they do it. And, uh, you know, so I, I sort of set up the rig, set it all up. And then that's pretty much it <laughs> for the, for the record. Um, and so even though there's different sounds, that's just really me turning on some effect or other that I'll also have with me live. So that's kind of a thing. You know, we, we pretty much set up like it's a gig. And we, we tried a couple. There was a couple different drum kits we used, a couple different snare drums, you know, and I used a couple different guitars in the studio. But for the most part, once we were set up, um, we were playing it, you know, like a gig. Let's do this song a few times. Let's do that song a few times and uh, pick the best takes. Um, so that's, that's kind of part of the approach of how I, how I set out to capture these types of records. Okay. Now, um, let's talk, uh, about getting it out there. 
Um, you're working with Patty DeVries of Devious Planet. Uh, tell me a little bit about that relationship. Uh, yeah, well, she came to me through uh, Roof Records, who's putting out the record. And, um, you know, we've we've uh, been in touch now for a couple months. And, um, you know, it's my first time working with her. And she's been great to work with so far. And, you know, she's uh, she's getting getting the word out, doing the PR um, for the record label. Um, and yeah, you know, I mean, it's, uh, this is a new relationship for me, uh, with Ruth and, um, and Patty and, and, uh, you know, every, it seems like a great team to work with. Um, so, you know, we're, we're still, uh, we're really still at the beginning stages of it all, but, but it's been going great and, you know, really looking forward to, to, you know, getting this album out there, um, and and doing a couple more with them so yeah now um of course we all know um that the elephant in the room here as far as the music industry is concerned is that the consumer has embraced streaming as a way to consume music and i don't care what anyone tells you vinyl is not going to save our asses um you know the only reason that vinyl is surpassing sales of cds is because no one's buying cds um you can't get a cd player in your car you can't find get one in your computer or your laptop they don't make them with cd players anymore and you can't get one at best buy you can't even go to the best buy cd player section because there is none um the only place to get them now is a thrift store or goodwill or something like that so once the hardware is gone, the software is definitely on its way out. And I know on a niche market like ours that, you know, in the blues market, that there are a lot of people that still use CDs. It is a finite amount of people and they are dwindling uh, no matter how we want to slice that pie. So we have to we have to deal with this new reality. Uh, the problem with streaming is is that the consumer now no longer looks at recorded music as a product to purchase. It's now a service. How has this shift in perception by the consumer affected you as an artist? Well, like you say, I mean, I'm lucky that there are still people that buy music, uh, you know, at the shows. And I have a online store that I'm uh extremely personally involved in like i you know when i'm not on the road i'm signing records and and you know helping to pack them up and everything and and i sell t-shirts and everything like that um you know we run our own store um so thankfully there are still people that that support it that way and i appreciate it so much because as you say they don't have to i mean they can get all the stuff for free online it's you know, there's no, um, if you're buying music, you're doing it to support an artist. And it's amazing to me that there are still, you know, a, a decent number of people that will do that, even though they don't have to. And that's just always very humbling and, uh, and appreciated. Um, you know, I suppose a lot of us have realized that what we're essentially trying to do is sell tickets to shows. Um, and that is essentially the remaining way to make a living. Um, you know, other than that, the streaming stuff, it can be great. You know, I have run into in, in the sense of, uh, it's a way that people are discovering music. It's sort of like the radio, I guess, you know, people will say, Oh, I was, I was listening to some artist on Spotify and then you came on, and that's why I'm here at the show. So, you know, there, there's good that comes from it. Um, you know, it's sort of the cat's out of the bag, you know. I mean, it's never, unfortunately, we're never going to go back to the point where three friends would go to the record store and all buy a copy of the same album and, and you know, spend their money that way. Um, it, it's, it's. The, like you say, the vinyl is very cool that it has a resurgence. I myself buy vinyl and have a record player at home and enjoy that. Um, but it's a niche, you know, it's a niche. And it's it's sort of, I think what people are enjoying with that partially is the analog sound quality. But partially it's also the experience of 
the commitment of putting something on and and listening to it which is the other side of it is you know with the streaming thing it's not just that people aren't buying it but it's also you kind of don't have the commitment to to getting used to a record you know you 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 hear that oh somebody's got a new record out and you listen to it and then tomorrow when you get in the car you're going well i listened to that yesterday what else is there for me to listen to it's very throwaway um and that's hard i think that's to me almost as hard as the money aspect is is just that you know you put a lot of thought into recording music and you realize how transient it is to people that you know it's it's something where they've literally made no investment in um listening to it so a lot of the time they don't they don't give the time to it as well um and they kind of just flip through and then they're like oh that's cool and then they flip through something else (laughs) um because it's just it's a bottomless pit of content and you'll never you'll never listen to it all so you know there i mean i guess the bottom line is, I mean, I sort of, uh, for me personally, I'm just thankful to be doing this. I'm thankful to be alive. I'm, you know, I, I have no idea what the answer is for the industry, but you know, I'm an artist and, and I, uh, am mostly just happy to be able to be doing what I'm doing. My expectations for, uh, my, uh, (laughs) financial, (laughs) future are modest but it's you know it's just sort of i'm just happy to see that there are still people that are willing to support and you know it's if you can if you can find there's a lot of people out in the world so if you can find a small handful of them that uh will appreciate and support what you do you can you can probably find a way to to get by hopefully so you know it's it's anybody's guess i mean i think it's an evolving thing and um, we'll, we'll see where it goes, you know? Yeah. And you know, um, well, we, we all know streaming is kind of that double-edged sword. If, if you decide not to participate and someone goes to look for you and they don't find you because there is so much content being uploaded there, um, you become irrelevant. So they just move on to the next person. So you have to participate in this, this world of, of streaming, in right. order to, you know, become part of the industry. Yeah. Uh, but, I mean, you know, this is not a sustainable mo- business model. Uh, we can't continue to ask um, independent artists in particular to create content and not co- at least give them the opportunity to break even on the content. Um, and unfortunately, that's not the way it's structured right now course the record companies made all their deals with spotify and you know they they have stock in the company and yada 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 so they get a lion's share of the of uh, that split where the indie artist becomes kind of uh, a secondary market to them uh, even though they do supply the bulk of their content um what do you think needs to happen to change that dynamic you know it's i mean I, I I guess some people have pointed out, you know, that, that the payouts could be higher, um, and that would certainly be probably a good thing. Um, uh, you know, other other people have pointed out that in some cases, the uh, you know it, it also differs to be, to between the types of deals that an artist finds themselves with versus whether whether they're independent or whether they're on a record label or whatever because you know, then you're splitting that fraction of a penny even further. And, you know, so, so it, I mean, it, it, uh, I, you know, some people make some income from it. Um, it's, it's a, it's an interesting thing, you know, because I, I really, it, it's, I can't, I can't really, uh, I don't have a solution for it, to be honest. It's, it's sort of, obviously it's an interesting thing when, people are making billions of dollars off of a platform that doesn't really pay out very much for the content that makes the money. Uh, I think it's, there's a good case to be made for the pay for play should probably be higher. What, what that number should be is like a calculation that's way beyond me, but, 
um, you know, I think a lot of people are in kind of agreement that it's it should be higher, and it is higher on some platforms versus others. So you have that thing too, where it's like, okay, well, you know, maybe maybe if it was raised across the board, it would be a good thing. Um, but ultimately, you know, I I still, you know, hopefully people realize how important it is to you know, vote with your dollars to some extent with the music that you like. And, and, you know, if you're, if you're seeing a band, especially the smaller bands, you know, if, if, uh, if you see a band coming through town and, and you like their stuff, maybe, you know, it's worth going to see them play because it, it means so much. It's like every, every little CD, every ticket that you sell, every little CD that you sell at a show gets you some miles up the road and it's such a big impact that like a relatively small number of people can make. And, and it's, it is a small number of people that make that impact. You know, you see that I saw that during the, during the, uh, the pandemic, you know, when I was sort of just surviving off of live streams and selling merch, you know, it was probably 10% or less. I mean, maybe 5% of the people that made up a hundred percent of what I was living on. And, you know, everybody else would just kind of wave as they pass by. And you understand it because, you know, again, like you say, it's music is seen as free now. But there are those people out there that even though they don't have to, they support the arts. And the arts are completely dependent on those people. And um, so they should pat themselves on the back. And, you know, because it's really, um, you know, it's it's a truly great thing that there are those people out there that, that keep this whole thing afloat. Yeah, yeah. Now, um, let's talk a little bit about um, the future of streaming. Now, we all know that the digital revolution is littered with companies that have um, rose to the top. Everyone swore that they were going to be there forever, and now they're no longer around. Uh, LimeWire, Napster... Uh, even iTunes, um, you know, everyone thought Apple was going to dominate the music industry forever. And, you know, they were more interested in selling iPods. And who the hell is using an iPod today? You know, uh, Spotify, Spotify came along and streaming now is the de facto way of listening to music. And, you know, and everyone's screaming, oh, you know, Spotify will own the industry forever. Well, I don't believe that. Uh, you know, history does not... Uh, bear that out and there are some new technologies coming down the pike that do promise to number one change the music industry change the way we do streaming but also change how uh, artists are compensated Uh, one of those technologies is the uh, streaming services that have been developed utilizing the blockchain or that technology that cryptocurrency uh, utilizes Uh, One of the big advantages of these streaming services are that they are decentralized. In other words, no company can own them. Uh, No one person can profit from them. Uh, It is owned by the fans and by the artists themselves. And they're claiming that it only takes 20% of the incoming revenue in order to run the network. And the other 80% can be given back to the artists themselves. What do you think of that as a potential for the future of the industry? Uh, man, to be honest, I really don't understand that stuff. <laughs> it's just like beyond me. Um, you know, there's there's a, a lot of things that I um, spend a lot of time, you know, learning about. Uh, I mean, I spend a lot of time thinking about evolutionary psychology and and you know listen to all kinds of things on neuroscience and i'm editing my own music videos and all that like i have a i have a fairly large wheelhouse but blockchain is like outside of it and i just i feel like i'm people are speaking greek every time they try to explain to me you know what an nft is or like you know uh you know cryptocurrency and all that stuff i'm, I'm just like I, I somehow it just uh it it has has fully escaped my um, educational uh, boundaries at this point. But, um, yes, I, I really don't know. I mean, you know, I, I, I guess I'm, I'll, I'll be an audience member to 
the developments as much as anyone else, really. Well, yeah, and I can sympathize with you because when I first started looking into this, the whole NFT thing just was something I could not wrap my head around it. Uh, until I started to look at how it could be applied to the music industry. Um, for example, uh, there's a site called Royal.io, which uh, one of the rap artists, Nas, was utilizing. And what he did is he created um, these non-fungible tokens, the NFTs, and each one represented a small portion of his streaming royalties. And he made enough to cover one half of the royalties on two songs on his last release and he sold it to his fan base and was able to generate $600,000 in upfront income and he also ended up with like 3,000 fans that had an economic interest now in making sure his music is streamed because they get paid for that streaming like stocks almost like a stock dividend and it's interesting to me that there is a potential for the future of the industry where you're not going to a record company assigning them your streaming or your publishing royalties where you instead you are uh, creating um, a publicly funded record company that the people your fan base would buy stock in through these NFTs uh, and they would be funding you uh, as a record company and reaping the benefits should you become successful. What do you think of that as a potential? Yeah, I mean, it, it, you know, it could be. I mean, there's a lot of different crowdfunding type of uh, things that make sense these days. I mean, there's definitely uh, the challenge is certainly no longer how you can get your music out to the world, around the world. That's exceedingly easy. I mean, it's, uh, you know, it probably it costs about $30 and about you know half an hour of time to worldwide release an album uh, on all the streaming platforms. The issue is, how do you get people to know about it? And that's where you get into the human relationships. Uh, you know, and, and you know, one person can only do so much, and so you need members of a team and all that kind of stuff. So, but you know, all of those uh, all of those things are good things to be looking into. You know. Um, it's definitely, it definitely makes sense to, to be trying to figure out how to use the technology for, for good, you know? Yeah. Now, you had mentioned earlier about how when the pandemic hit that you uh, started doing live streaming. And a lot of artists started doing the same thing. But as the months turned into years, um, the content needed to change. You know, people got kind of burnt out on the live stream shows even though artists started to get better and better at it they realized that they needed different content and they kind of realized that the fan base has been inundated for the last 30 years with this reality show raw type content so a lot of artists started to create kind of this world that you, that, that allowed their fans to kind of see behind the curtain kind of a thing. Their hobbies, things they did, puppies, babies, kittens, chickens, you know, hiking in the woods, uh, fishing, whatever it may be. And it kind of opened up the funnel on their, their uh, marketing by allowing a larger swath of people in with a more diverse kind of interest in it. And so social media and content uh, creation has become more of a branding opportunity where the brand has become the new product. What are some of the things that you are doing through social media and content that's helping you advance your brand and bring this new release to your fan base? You know, I, 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 uh, to be honest, I wish I had more time for it than I do. Um, um, uh, you know, I don't know that I'm really that terribly good at it. I mean, I, I really, um, you know, I try to let people see a little bit of snapshots of stuff on the road, let people know about the dates we've got and things that are coming out. Um, you know, I, I definitely, the, the live streaming thing for me, it's, it's, it's crazy how many people discovered me through that, which is just the backwards from what I would have thought. 
you know, I thought when I started live streaming acoustic from the house, I was like, man, you know, first of all, I don't even know if anybody's going to show up and watch. Um, second of all, I don't even know if it's a good look because it's like I'm a rock band and like this is, uh, you know, I'm sitting here with an acoustic guitar with my cat walking across the, the screen. And, you know, and actually people really connected with that um, probably because it was unfiltered and um, and which really sort of helped me on a on a personal level just to know that you know, a certain level of acceptance of like, um, hey, people really like you for, you know, you don't have to worry so much about how you um, market something. People are kind of on board with who you really are and that's sort of freeing in a way um and you know and i've been fortunate to meet people all over the country that have said you know oh, i watched your your thursday night live streams like throughout the whole pandemic and stuff and and they'll thank me for it and i'm i'm sort of thinking like it really helped me in a number of ways because it you know it gave me a reason to play and sing every week when there wasn't anywhere to do that um but now that i'm moving you know a lot on the road and everything um i'm sort of lucky if i can you know <laughs> blast off a post once a day or something and um you know sort of let people know where i'm going to be at stuff in between the you know checking in and checking out and the drives and and everything so um i I sort of honestly wish I could be a little bit better at it, but it's, it, it, it sort of takes sometimes somebody out there with you that's capturing stuff while you're busy doing other stuff. And, and, uh, at the moment, um, we're a pretty small operation here. So, <laughs> but you know, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's cool though, to be able to interact with people and, and keep in touch with folks. And, and, uh, you know, I love hearing from people and I, I meet people at the shows and like, I recognize when they tell me their name, I recognize their name from like a t-shirt that I packaged up and sent to them and stuff. And so it's cool. Um, you know, so, I mean, social media has its downfall, uh, you know, it's downsides, I suppose, um, th that are pretty clear, but at the same time, uh, it's, it's a great way to stay connected with, with people all over the place. And, um, some of the folks that used to live stream, um, or watch my live streams uh they've kept in touch and you know have made friends through that that you know have become friends in the real world so you know there's there's a lot of positives with it and um i uh you know i continue to try to think about things that i could do with it to kind of bring people uh into what it's like out here a little bit more um you know to the extent that I, I can keep growing that, um, I will. Okay. Now, uh, I, I really appreciate you coming on the show and talking with us. It's been a real pleasure talking with you. And yeah. uh, we're going to give everyone out there an Indie Blues double shot from your new release. Uh, you guys are going to love this. Uh, you may just want to turn it up loud. Screw the neighbors. We're going to have some fun. <laughs> there exactly. of a world unseen Like reflections on a movie screen Of a place I can
Try to write something for her
Whether you're an independent artist or a fan that loves them, makingascene.org is the place for you. For the music fan, we bring you in-depth interviews and CD reviews from artists who are on the cutting edge of original music. For the independent artist, we bring you articles on music business, recording techniques, gear reviews, and interviews with industry professionals that give you real-world information to help you negotiate the new realities in the music industry and give you the tools you need to move your career to the next level. We bring you new content every day. Makingascene.org is the number one resource for the independent artists and the fans that love them. Head on over and become part of the Indie Revolution. Make you shout now, honey. Gonna 